0: Deep Impact, proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most forgotten work, Five Years On. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Urban Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Signature 8.4, um, which again starts with our still nameless protagonist here, uh, waking <laughs> up in an armchair in Sandra Duchamp's house as Sandra kind of cooks breakfast.
1: Yeah, and I think we, like, forgot to touch on this. Last episode, mm. but I I loved this little detail about how Sandra doesn't have a couch for people to sleep on, because just having a couch sort of implies that there is a, a couch to sleep on, and she doesn't want to give off that vibe. She basically implies that the only other person she's really planning on letting in here is, I, I assume she was referencing Jeremy, <laughs> uh, who obviously wouldn't need a separate bed, mm.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a cool little bit. Um, again, Sandra is not used to being a, a gracious host in this situation, I suppose.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's sort of a tick in the. This isn't what she would normally do. Like it it, it sets that tone of, you know, there's something amiss, or there's something she must want out of this because this isn't <laughs> isn't something she would normally does.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I I suppose we'll hit that uh question of what she's getting out of this a bit more later. Um. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to call out a line that I just thought was a very beautiful bit of, of writing near the start of this chapter, uh, where Maggie thinks, sorry, no, not, can't say that name, where, <laughs> where our point of view thinks, her thoughts walked the razor's edge of inspiration and there wasn't much footing to be had, if any, which is a really nice, some really nice prose and also gets you into her frame of mind of like, okay, she's a bit more relaxed compared to, you know, her goblin escape last chapter, but, um. She's still, <laughs> she's, she's definitely still kind of like close to breaking.
1: Yeah. Well, she's moved on from, oh, these monsters are attacking me. I'm going to die any second to she, she, now she's still, and she can contemplate the fact that she's literally coming undone and she may only have like days, hours like, to live. Um, yep. but I, we're not sure. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know how sure she is. Uh, Where's, but you're right, where's it, Isadora when you
0: need her for some expiration date data dumping?
1: Uh, I don't know. Isadora didn't really give the very good details to Blake on that. I don't know how <laughs> helpful she actually is. Maybe she not be helpful. Uh, but yeah, no, it really does get you immediately into this mindset of how she, she can't actually relax because like she, she's on the verge of a panic attack and she's barely holding it together. And that is a completely reasonable place to be given her situation
0: yeah definitely um yeah Uh, it's interesting i don't think we see her you know we we see the cracks inside her head a bit but i I feel like we don't see them uh too much i feel like she's actually holding it together remarkably well considering yeah yeah um anyway uh so the other thing that we get in this kind of early part of the chapter is we get weird we get kind of uh our pov spying on sandra as she's having these kind of little domestic interactions with hilda her familiar um <laughs> which i really like it's just this it's a very fun kind of weird slice of life thing watching a practitioner and their troll <laughs> interact
1: yeah i mean it's just some fun with the, the setting like the world of pact really like uh you know i think we've gotten a handful of uh things like this with blake and evan um just sort of all quite domestic or casual yeah other practitioner interactions are just fun because there's something off about them. Because there's always something a bit off about the others, but mm. it's often in a, in a fun way.
0: Yeah, and I think it also helps to humanize Sandra here, right? Um, yeah, it 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 kind of does give this uh, domestic life vibe, which I think is not
1: something we often <laughs> see from
0: Sandra. But um, I don't know. Yeah, it 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 paints her in a very interesting light. I think.
1: Yeah, well, because apart from Hilda, she's she's sort of living alone, and and this really counters any vibes that would be giving off. Like, you know, she mm. doesn't she doesn't seem like the uh you know cottage in the middle of the forest uh, alone <laughs> type anymore.
0: Yeah, I, I maybe there's a, a contrast that I'm not sure if we're going to talk about between Sandra and Kryn Mara, and they're two sides of the same coin. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the case. But um, no, you're right. Um, and yeah, I guess I guess I i never really thought of her as like a lonely kind of person, but um, well, back in her interlude, I guess we did, right? So maybe this is kind of countering mm. that narrative a bit, kind of setting up that she is she she is kind of in a pretty good place and and having a pretty happy domestic life, even though it's probably not the life that she planned for herself.
1: Yeah, I think she's made do is mm. probably what I assume she would she would think. I, yeah, I, I imagine that's how Sandra would put it. Yeah. Um. So uh, our nameless girl kind of still feels
0: pretty out of place in Sandra's house, right? Uh, but but is accepting of her hospitality and kind of does start to seek her advice on, on this whole situation.
1: Yeah. And there's an interesting bit early on where Sandra says, I do have clothes from when I was about your age. I grew up in this house and left it behind when I moved to Toronto. I've never had cause to get rid of it, <laughs> um, which is like, there's a sort of. Subtle transition from talking about the clothes or the clothes being the subject to the um the house. The house. Yeah. Uh it's just it's just really interesting because there's all this stuff like Sandra makes out a few different times throughout this chapter that, you know, oh you can just have this, like, it's just here. I just haven't bothered to get rid of it. Mm. Uh, and I don't I don't know if I buy it. It <laughs> it mm. seems she she keeps she keeps going out of her way to be like, Oh, I just, you know, had no reason to get rid of it. It just seems very <laughs> uh forced you think she's being overly casual yeah i think she's she's trying to mask some added generosity with apathy or something
0: Mm, yeah because i guess it's interesting it definitely gives you the idea that she's not really used to playing this role as well right um yeah being a a kind of a provider being a a mother of sorts right um Mm. it doesn't seem like she takes supernaturally to it but i have to say she's pretty kind of composed she she very, <laughs> I think the other thing that we see is um, she cooks herself, you know, a pretty extravagant bre- breakfast, um, or she says it's for herself. Maybe there is a bit of her putting on a show for Maggie, but you, you definitely get the vibe that she's kind of lives a meticulous, composed Duchamp life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, there are a number of points in this chapter where the story kind of goes out of its way to contrast Maggie and, and Sandra a bit. Uh, you know, we've got the cranberry juice incident coming up, obviously. Uh, and then uh, my other favorite one is when Sandra's like, OK, now we need some blood. I'm going to go get a needle. And, and Maggie just, oh, not Maggie, uh, uh, ex-Maggie. um <laughs> Uh just like bites into her thumb, yeah, uh, and Classic. and Sandra's just a bit like, oh shit, okay, yeah, okay, uh- that'll
0: do, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but
1: uh, yeah, I I think Sandra in this whole bit to me comes across as quite genuine. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh well, you know, we're talking about how she's all very Duchampy, but yeah, no, uh, I- like overall, I still think she's quite. She comes across as very genuine. Like she, it, it's almost like those mistakes make out like things like the cranberry juice and stuff make it seem like she's not putting it on and she's not mm. trying to win maggie over in a super sus way she's just kind of doing her thing
0: yeah i like the cranberry juice mix up as well because it shows that she is fallible right like it shows that yeah she she <laughs> this is i guess a bit of an insane thing to say but it shows that she doesn't know everything about maggie and hasn't like prepared <laughs> perfectly for this moment right um
1: yeah, exactly. Like, she's not trying to win her over yeah. super fakely. She's just like, oh, you asked for cranberry juice, here's some cranberry juice. And it's like, oh, you wanted the sugary version. Yeah,
0: exactly. Because, you know, Podrick would know which kind of cranberry juice she wanted, right? Like, Podrick would have prepared the exact right kind of cranberry juice, because of course he would <laughs> have, because he he has everything down to a T, where Sandra, yeah, she's fallible. Yeah yep um however of course since this is packed i can't ever say something like that without thinking or maybe it's a double bluff oh yes (laughs) and she knows that we're thinking that
1: (laughs) no it crossed my mind as well like uh, i'm so paranoid these days uh with everything here it's great
0: yeah um yeah no I i definitely feel the same way i definitely feel like sandra is and this this was the same thing when we were in her head for her for her interlude she's she's very endearing um Hmm. yeah i'm I'm definitely kind of on team sandra here
1: yeah yeah i mean absolutely like when she talks about making a play for lord in a bit like i'm sure yeah. we're about to get there but it's just you know compared to the other yeah. choices uh i find it hard not to take sides
0: yeah well so that's uh sandra's big machiavellian plan i suppose that she reveals to <laughs> to ex maggie here um that she's kind of intentionally being good to to our POV so that when Sandra eventually has the opportunity to make her play for lordship of, of Jacob's Bell, um, at the very least, our POV will kind of be neutral to her or kind of think that she's the right person for the job and support her.
1: Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a good vote of confidence in our POV that Sandra thinks it's worth this, you know, worth this <laughs> effort, right?
0: I, I don't know. I kind of land closer to what ex-Maggie thought, which is, um, oh, you must be desperate if you're turning to me. And kind of <laughs> reflecting on it, it's like, yeah, who really, who there aren't any good independent players to get on side, right there's ex Maggie, there's Blake, i mean ex Blake I guess um, <laughs> he he's obviously even when he was in the picture, not really someone that anyone wants on their side. uh maybe mm. the witch hunters uh, are a potential neutral party, but they seem pretty like intent on staying neutral so so if you're trying mm. to make a play to get people on side, there aren't that many people to go for.
1: It, yeah, I I guess it's just between between this and you know uh, I I brought up last episode how Pordrig's, uh instructions to the goblins seemed a little too specific. Like I'm wondering if mm. this is one of those things where it's like everyone sort of knows if she survives, if she if she finds herself, she'll be stronger for it. Like it'll be one of those things where she's right. she's overcome a very monumental and important thing. I, I mean, she's on a literal quest to find herself in this arc, <laughs> um, which which is great. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's one of those things where if, if she manages to find it, it'll be so reinforced that may- maybe she'll get some some pretty impressive power boost. So it might be one of those things where a lot of people are doing this stuff because if she survives, she's going to be a more important player than she was before.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, at, at the very least, she's kind of... You know desperation breeds a certain kind of drive to improve yourself, right so even if there's not a yeah explicit hours one to seven <laughs> yeah exactly right um even if there's not a specific power boost that she gets from that, like she's kind of gonna get an inherent power boost just from being in a situation where she needs to gain power to survive,
1: yeah yeah, um
0: yeah, it's interesting i i'm I'm not quite sure whether uh whether Sandra is actually keen on Maggie, or if it's just a kind of, like, gonna make every play that I can kind of deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Could be both. I mean, that's the standard pactism, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, there's there's also one bit I, I want to call out where Sandra says the name Maggie Holt, uh, mm. in reference to what's going on in Toronto. Yeah. And uh, our POV thinks to herself, it felt weird hearing the name spoken like that. It should have felt weird because it was familiar to her, but it wasn't. mm and like I originally went to write that this is the most horrifying part of the chapter, but then I remembered the second half, and yeah, I, I, so I won't say that. But it, it, like this is this is like a bit that really sort of got to me because it's like this thing that's happened to her is affecting her now as well, where oh, she yeah. has lost her connection to the name Maggie Holt, which yeah. is, um, like ah, oh, that that's kind of terrifying, like existentially. Yeah. That it's, that it's manipulating her as much as it's manipulating the rest of the universe.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of contextualise this in my head as like, you know how you kind of are very good at recognising the sound of your own name, right? Like you'll hear something that mm. sounds kind of like your own name and, and, and you'll hear that out of a conversation that you didn't hear any other words from. And it's yep. like Maggie has lost that ability from her own name and now <laughs> now i guess if someone says maggie near podrick he'll kind of turn around instinctively um it's such a yeah it, it's so strange it's so conceptually strange
1: yeah but to me it ups the violation because uh, up until now it was kind of it was affecting her external connections but yeah. she she was still her and now we now we won. it's affecting her as well so yeah it kinda, to me ups the the effects even more. Yeah, um, fair, fair. But but yeah. So I mean, going back to Sandra's whole speech about how she wants to be, uh, you know, the the Lord of Jacob's Bell as her consolation prize because mm. uh, it didn't work out in Toronto. <laughs> yep. Um, one of the things she she brings up is how Laird is really trapped where he is, and she actually mm. thinks he's he's kind of miserable as the head of the Baham family because he's very trapped. And I mean, like, that's kind of a big development because we. We're under the impression it was the opposite, uh, yeah. Because based of on yeah, Eamon's interlude, yeah. So Sandra doesn't give me the impression that she's wrong. Like, obviously, one option is this is a complete misread by Sandra, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. I don't feel like that's what's happening. So, I, like, I think this must mean that for whatever reason, Eamon didn't go ahead with what he was talking about with Rose Senior. Yeah, or at least it didn't work out how
0: how he was expecting. Right. Um,
1: yeah something like something happened. I, 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 my my guess would be that Rose Senior did something that made Eamon change his mind, and maybe that's why Laird holds a particular grudge towards the Thorburns because mm. he could see that as Rose Senior having taken away his potential freedom.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I but there's you know what it occurs to me is that there's a potential that. This plan is more of a slower burn than we thought, and instead of it being to free Laird, it's to free whatever Owen or whatever mm. other names there are, another generation down. Because thinking about it, we have got them kind of starting to seek their own independence from the family and and set up their own deals and stuff, and you know following the family line, but in a way that's very much their own. Maybe there's something something to that being part of Eamon's plan. I'm not sure though.
1: Yeah, well, because we did bring up, back in 8.1, there were some parallels between what the younger Bahames and Duchamps were doing and yeah. what Eamon and Rose were talking about. Yeah, so exactly. It, it could be. Um, that that just wasn't the impression I got in Eamon's Oh, yeah, intro- for sure. Uh, so, so I, there must have been some sort of development. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just interested to learn more about that. I yep. mean Sandra thought lead was at the point where he would offer himself up as a new host to conquest yeah. which is uh
0: which is weird right i mean it's it's interesting it kind of recontextualizes some arc seven stuff i think
1: yeah like yeah, yeah exactly i was sort of thinking back on some stuff particularly what happened at Duncan's house and trying to figure out if i thought that was like a very accurate read i mean obviously it it didn't go ahead cuz uh blake got in the way yeah but, um yeah it's it's an interesting idea
0: yeah, and you know, I think the worst thing that L- Laird ever did, in my mind, was hold Blake down for his echoes to come and get him. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Which, w-
0: with this part in mind, kind of feels like Laird almost proving himself to Conquest as a as a kind of reasonable henchman. I suppose. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe mm. that's a a kind of too too much reading into it. But maybe that's what Laird's plan was: like help Conquest deal with Blake, and once that's done. Hey, we worked well together. Why not, you know, make it a regular <laughs> deal?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I think we talked about how potentially we did think Laird may have been a little bit mm. suicidal when we found out he'd given the remainder of his years to his kids. And, yeah. I mean, at, at the very least, we sort of get that kind of confirmed. Sandra definitely seems to have been on that page thinking yep. that he was maybe not necessarily suicidal, but not- He, he wasn't planning uh, on coming back. <laughs> right. No, no, he um he was o- he was open and not overly against the possibility of dying uh, yeah. in Toronto.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, which is interesting. I expect there'll be more to to see about this once uh once we explore. I I guess Rose's perspective on Jacob's Bell stuff, maybe. Hmm. Um, so. Uh Sandra and X Maggie. I like the name ex Maggie. I'm gonna stick to that. <laughs> Sandra and X Maggie keep talking. Uh and, and Sandra kind of basically gives her the prompt of look, you you you're gonna need some help to 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 stick around in this world. Maybe that could be me, but you basically you're gonna need to find someone that's powerful enough to help you uh stick around.
1: Yeah. And we get this it it's a great little like reminder of who's who and Jake in Jake as because well, 'cause it's been a while since we really took stock of everyone, mm. um, like people like Krona, Mara, and Johans. I don't think have been properly mentioned by name for you know maybe four arcs now. Yeah. Uh so it was good to sort of bring them back up to the forefront of my mind and be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I I, I remember all this. Yeah. Um, I I like I'm assuming the story's coming back to Jacob's Bell in arc nine with whatever will be the POV after arc eight. Tiffany. <laughs> uh so yeah it's it's a great little way like this talk and i think probably the rest of this arc will be a great way to teach us more and introduce reintroduce us to everyone in jacob's bell
0: yeah so you know this kind of phase of the conversation ends here basically and i i kind of want to jump in and and get our initial thoughts on how this convo between sandra and x maggie is going um it feels like it's going pretty basically as well as it could go for x maggie but there are a few small bits that, that I think leave me with a few, just like, feel, it feels like something could be going on here, uh, moments, right? Um, there's a bit where the, the prune juice incident where ex-Maggie coughs up some <laughs> prune juice and, um, Hilda kind of snarls and hisses at her while Sandra remains composed. Um, and anytime a practitioner remains composed, but their familiar has some kind of emotional outburst in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so... Something weird is going on here because there's a disconnect. Um, stuff like that that just yeah. kind of leaves me with a little bit of, I don't know, I don't know, something.
1: Yeah, well, because well, you don't watch the person, you watch their bugs, and that's exactly. how you know what they're exactly. thinking.
0: Exactly, you watch the bugs, and how <laughs> agitated the bugs are shows you how agitated the person is.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, the the cranberry juice incident to me, like, she- she spat out the cranberry juice and was banging the table and, like, <laughs> kind of disrespectful. I, yeah. I'm going to give them a pass on being kind of ticked off about that because uh, mm. it, it was just kind of rude.
0: Yeah. But the thing is, I, I would understand if Sandra was ticked off, but she maintained her composure, right? That's the thing to me. Oh, sure. Uh, especially when we're talking about her being genuine as, as kind of the emotional read that we're getting on her. Bits like that where it's like, there's still a bit of... Duchamp in here <laughs> you know, yeah I was you about to say a, a,
1: as genuine as a Duchamp can really be yeah, I guess yeah
0: and maybe that's the answer maybe it's just kind of like yeah she's a Duchamp and so that's the most genuine she can be but still kind of leaves me with a bit of like mm, who knows
1: yeah I mean it's just so practiced that it's almost more genuine because it's just her default to maintain her composure I mean yeah it's an interesting cyclical argument you can get into
0: <laughs> true Um, but let's not, let's keep going. Let's jump forward (laughs) over that cyclical argument, cyclical argument, because, uh, the girl in the checkered scarf goes off to have a shower, presumably in her checkered scarf. Um, and when she gets back, uh, Sandra has set up a small ritual that they were discussing to kind of help her get a bit of a read on her situation. Um, it starts with ex Maggie writing down a bunch of personal details about herself.
1: Yep. Uh, And before we properly get into that, I just wanted to go back to the the shower scene a bit, because she doesn't, uh, like, use any shampoo, Mm. because it it smells a bit different, and she figures that's not really her. Mm. And this, like, Blake sort of went through the same thing in arc two, so it's good to see his head was sort of in the right spot, but (laughs) again, uh, like, we are drawing a lot of parallels between these two, uh, this arc.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. Um. Uh, hopefully uh their expiry dates don't end in in similar situations i suppose um <laughs> so yeah ex maggie writes down a bunch of details about herself and and we start out with some ones that we already knew and then we kind of get into some ones that are i guess humanizing but not really like plot relevant seemingly um although it does kind of give you a vibe of oh yeah maggie's a, ex maggie's a a a, t- a teenager She's still kind of got a lot of emotional shit going on in her head
1: yeah well it's a great way for wild to just quickly get to really really flesh out the character um it it, it's it's really great you know we get to see all these little insights like i knew she was cool and and now it's been confirmed because she likes salty food and hates polar fleece yeah so like immediately i was like yeah like you know she she's smart
0: yep yep of course those are universal cool traits um yeah and okay So we were talking about things that seem fine, but maybe are a bit questionable under the surface. And again, this kind of is one of those to me. Um, Sandra has set up a situation where Maggie is writing down a bunch of very personal details about herself for Sandra to take a look at. And like, (laughs) yeah, uh, there's obviously a totally justifiable and fair reason for this. As we see, it's obviously pretty useful ritual that kind of does help ex Maggie figure out where she is. But, Again, you know, I don't know. This is a situation that Sandra set up and it
1: kind of puts me on edge. I mean, at the very least, getting to read over her shoulder and seal this personal info is a bit of a perk. Like, it's uh, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose Sandra could argue it's a win-win. Yeah, uh, But, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, you know, the polite thing to do would have been to not read uh, <laughs> the stuff, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, anyway... Uh, X Maggie writes down some intimate details, and Sandra basically sets up a little ritual where uh, the POV is able to measure the strength of connections between X Maggie and her most important things, and uh, none of them are good.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the idea for this ritual is so cool. Like, yeah. I love how the pen just looks like it's breaking, and it turns out it wasn't. Mm. Um, now I'm going to be convinced that whenever I was writing <laughs> something, and the and the pen runs out, I was writing something hollow, and the spirits are yeah. Just give me give me an FYI, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know. Like I I love I love sort of the everydayness of just yeah. how the ink ink just kind of runs out. Uh, <laughs> the the way the way the spirits let magic in impact be so tied into just day to day stuff is so cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, it is a very cool and very like immediately understandable ritual, right? Like yeah, Maggie yeah. starts drawing with the pen. It it runs out of ink, and she thinks or she says. I'm assuming that was meant to happen. And immediately as the reader, you're like, oh, I get this. Immediately, it's so understandable. Mm.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, it's great. for sure.
0: Uh, so, yeah, this this kind of diagnosis confirms what we already knew, more or less, which is that she's uh, basically got no good connections here. Um, she has a pretty good connection to Blake, uh, for now. And uh, <laughs> she also has quite a strong, in fact, one of her strongest connections is to Molly, uh, which is interesting. Take the name. <laughs> yeah.
1: Take it. Uh no, I, just I mean I'm I'm not I'm I'm still not convinced that she might take the name, but the Molly Ghost has been very heavily set up in this yeah arc so far. Well, There's surely something's gonna happen <laughs> with the Molly Ghost, and I can't wait.
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So so uh, basically from this, Sandra tells ex Maggie that like. You know, if it's a Magic 8-Ball, it's, like, chances are not good here, right? Um <laughs> She she basically should accept that she isn't going to get her name back, Um and she needs to make some new connections pronto, because otherwise, you know, there's nothing holding her stone above the lake, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think Sandra sort of says the most likely situation in Sandra's point of view is that Podrick just gets bored and takes pity on yeah. her and gives her the name back, which is, like... So, not going to happen. Yeah, and this. that's the most,
0: li- I, and I don't think it's <laughs> yeah. unfair
1: to say that's the most likely situation. No, exactly. So, it's really set up as like, just, you know, don't bother. And, and Sandra goes on a great speech about how, you know, when it comes to the fairy, it's just, just don't bother. It's never worth it. They're, yep. they're such fucking pains in the asses playing all their games. Just, just don't even. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I like this thing where uh, our POV has to basically make new friends to, <laughs> to try and heal herself because. Um, you know, I mean, like it, it's is good writing to put your characters in situations that particularly challenge them. Mm. And, I mean, even back in 2.Y, Maggie was someone who was set up as a bit of a loner, and, and yeah. Maggie didn't really like making friends. And so, of course, her ultimate challenge is to be put in a situation where she has to rely on others to help save her, or at least so she thinks.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it would be salvageable for her to to get the contract that she was going to sign with the with the you know the young justice crew um and and try and reinstate that because i imagine one of the best ways even more powerful than forging connections with people is like forging like binding documents contracts, and like contracts yeah. with people
1: right um well so the interesting conundrum there is In order to sign the contract, she has to sign a signature. She needs a signature, (laughs) doesn't she? Um, Also, I'm pretty sure most of those people are up in uh,
0: Toronto right now, aren't
1: they? Well, the Baham half certainly are, but uh, it seemed like Penny Duchamp was kind of running the show, so it might still be open. Yeah, fair. Um, Just sign it with something else, man. Sign it with an X. Easy. Well, simple i mean you get to i mean she could just make up a name and, and try and claim it like <laughs> i imagine this is one of those things where if she gets everyone else like if if she sort of just tries to claim a name and and everyone else starts using it then it'd become real right yep. like that seems very packed to me she could just start calling yeah. herself like the boss and if everyone did it then her name would just become <laughs> the boss
0: yeah although kind of sandra does touch on some of this stuff about the fact that it's not just a name right um so, an example that she brings up is if, if Podrick dies and then uh, ex-Maggie takes her name back because of that, then that's the name of somebody who's died. And therefore, you know, you, you, there's all kind of weird situations where you're kind of maybe dead now because you have the name of someone who's died. Um, mm.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, yeah, I definitely get the sense that it's probably not as simple as just, well, maybe. I mean,
1: getting a, getting a name that is yours, not necessarily just kind of claiming a name. No, well, you're right. Like, I think half of it would be getting others to use the name and half of it would be whether the name actually fits you in terms of convincing the spirits. Yeah. Uh, For sure.
0: I guess you kind of have to convince everyone that calling you by your cool new nickname is a good
1: idea. Um,
0: Yeah. Which, as we know, doesn't usually work out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, you're right. There's, like, uh, I love all these little details about, wait, what? The, the symbolism behind reclaiming her name from a dead portrait, mm. what that would mean. Yeah. Um, it's great. There was actually one point where I was thinking she should just try and claim his his name, make him swap <laughs> her back or something. Give him a taste uh, of his own medicine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, I think that would actually be harder to do than getting her original name back. Yep. So, uh, not a real uh, option. But, I mean, the, I think the interesting little tidbit that Sandra drops here is- uh, and the ex Maggie repeats is this idea that she could forge other connections. Like mm-hmm. when she says, "Oh, I don't want to make friends," Sandra's like, "I don't know, just other types of connections." And our POV is like, "Other connections, you know." I'll remember that. And I mean, I don't know. I I feel like I feel like this might be a clue. I'm worried that she's going to double down on something like goblin farming, and and you know, like really lean <laughs> into like the goblin queen aspect of yeah. her uh, yeah. identity and you know with things like Evan we we talked about how becoming a firebird would probably affect his personality as well mm. so that what that would be my concern here is if she say formed connections with goblins or something by owning them it would that would feed back into her as much as it would help sort of strengthen her herself
0: yeah i guess it's i mean the first thing you think about when you think of Maggie Holt is Maggie Holt comma goblin queen right so that yeah, that is, yeah. or at least was, a core part of her personality. This is probably a chance for her to break that association, but I don't know if she will or not.
1: Well, I, I don't know if she should. I mean, if that's an association that's holding, she need, she does need yeah. to hold on yeah, to it. True. I just worry. I worry about the effects uh, leaning into it would have on her. Um, yeah, especially given how the arc opened up.
0: Yeah. Um. So, Sandra also uh kind of touches on something that we've we've heard of throughout the rest of this chapter a bit um which is that uh, you know ex Maggie is basically going to erode over time um Mm -mm. she she's destined to die she's she's very much a a vestige like rose kind of situation where it's you know you 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 need something to keep you going or else you're going to expire um of
1: course we can't have a main point of view character here in pact that doesn't have an expiry
0: date
1: yeah well i mean you know how how boring would that be Mm -hmm. i'm just imagining like chapter. 543 of Crone Mara waking up, doing her chores and, mm-hmm. you know. Pretending to be a child. <laughs> yeah. Collecting more ghosts, sticking them in dolls, like boring. Yeah. Lame. Um, yeah. Fair <laughs> enough.
0: Um, yes. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, uh, our our POV here thinks about forging some other, with a capital O, connections. Um, basically, exchanges a few quick words of, with Sandra and sets off to face an unnamed horror. Um, and it's, we don't find out what they're talking about until later, but immediately, uh, I think she just says, oh, I'm going to go see her. What do you think of me going to see her? And immediately Sandra's like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> immediately they know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's a bit of a, like, uh, he who shall not be named moment yeah. almost like they don't even, they don't even say her name. Uh, so that's, it adds, it adds to the creep factor, which is very much delivered on, Oh yeah. um, as as we get there, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. Um, And, and Sandra kind of has this vibe of wanting to warn uh, ex-Maggie off of it, but kind of respecting her and giving her the agency enough to be like, now I'm not going to tell you no, but I am going to try and kind of give you some hints here.
1: I mean, to be fair, uh, her position is kind of, that's a shit plan. You should go see, like, Johans, which is admittedly also a shit plan. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, not throwing stones in a glass house when it comes <laughs> to having bad ideas of who you should go to. Like, there are there are no good options. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, yes,
0: uh, so then we jump
1: forward in time a bit and we see our
0: POV hiking through the woods on her way to meet this unnamed monster uh, that we find out is Mara.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this section opens with, Take the hardest path, story of my freaking life <laughs> uh which i just I just loved as a as an opener or just just anywhere in the chapter, yeah. it's just a great little uh character character moment, yeah um and and especially as she's trudging up the path, there's these moments where she's wondering like, is the thing where she always has to take what looks like the harder path? is that a spell, or has Crone Mara just had like three hundred years to? like, arrange the forest in such a way that it appears that way. Like mm. the the concept that she might have been here long enough that she's just manually made it difficult to navigate in a magical kind of way is is amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um and I love from the get go we're kind of setting up what this interaction is gonna look like. Um because we obviously you know, this is really the first time we're engaging with Kron mara really. Uh we've seen her at a yeah. council meeting. We had the vision of her at the very start of the story, but um she hasn't really played any active roles and honestly in my head up until this point she was kind of just like another briar girl like a a a weird half other half person thing that lived in the woods and and didn't talk to anybody and that was kind of the only picture i had of her so i like that we get some um we get some establishment of of how she actually is her own terrifying thing (laughs)
1: uh yeah totally i think the briar girl comparison is sort of fair because as you said they're both kind of loners they're both out in the forest like Apart from that, all we really knew about Cronemara was she's indigenous, uh, immortal, and Rose Senior thought she couldn't read. Yeah. Um, apart from that, like, that's that's pretty much it. I think we already knew that everyone was a little bit scared of her, uh, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, that sort of sets up a bit of tension that, again, seems pretty justified. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, and you know what? It gives me this feeling of a fairy tale, right, pun intended, because um, <laughs> it, it, it's- it basically feels like Ex Maggie is this innocent protagonist walking up to the witch's cottage, right? Even to the to the fact that uh, Ex Maggie thinks about Cronmara's cottage later. It wasn't made of gingerbread, at least, which is a total, like, totally hanging a lampshade on how much of a fairy tale this is.
1: It, yeah, it's very Grimm's fairy tale, uh, for sure. The, yeah. the the little girl walking through the woods to find the cottage, <laughs> um yeah um and yeah even, I agree
0: <laughs> I mean, we'll get to this a bit later, but it even has a bit of a like morality play kind of vibe where yes. the moral that that ex Maggie learns here is be careful who you're helpful to, I suppose
1: <laughs> um yeah, so but no, like I totally agree, there's this sense of adventure or that has too many positive connotations uh there you know there's a sense of a bit of an epic journey going on that that, you're right like invokes fairy tale type uh imagery
0: yeah um so yeah so ex maggie finds her way to mara's cottage and knocks on the door and is greeted by a young captive chained up child uh who is seemingly a a kind of like a assistant to mara uh, mara's executive assistant who goes around doing chores (laughs) basically um this child invites uh L P O V in and they kind of just start chit chatting while they wait for Mara to return.
1: Executive assistant seems like a very generous term. Uh <laughs> but So okay, I am jumping ahead a bit here, but uh ex Maggie gives us the lay of the house because mm-hmm. it's very claustrophobic and, and seems really dark. Uh not like in the terms of lacking in light, but oh yeah. In the terms of creepy as fuck. Yeah, I mean both, uh, honestly. <laughs> well, yeah. And um there are there are two bedrooms. Ex Maggie points out that uh, there are two bedrooms, and that's interesting because who's who's the second bedroom for?
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh,
1: I guess we'll. I mean, does she does she have more guests than Sandro? Like, because you know, Sandro needs to reevaluate <laughs> some stuff if. <laughs> yeah, if that's Karen where Mara her social circle is. <laughs>
0: she hosts a local D and D group. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, you're right. It's an interesting question and one that isn't really answered this chapter. Um.
1: But yeah, you're right.
0: It I, maybe we will kind of keep it in mind and and see how it goes.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. Well, and you know the the girl talks about how she has lessons uh, mm. all the time, and obviously now that we, we you know based on what we learn later, I'm I'm like, but wait, lessons? Yeah, fr- what from who? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's I true. This there's, there's something going on here, I think, uh, and I can't wait to find out what. Um, mm.
0: so I want to read out I think my favorite few lines of this chapter, uh, where ex Maggie thinks. She'd halfway expected the interior to be a domain, but there was no guarantee that Kronmara would hold to any recent traditions. The notion of the domain had come over from Europe with the settlers. Kronmara predated them. Which I really like, because the domain hmm. is like the fundamental symbol of power, right? Like, throughout the story, all the most powerful practitioners have had their area that's their domain, right? There's Laird's house, uh, get, uh, places that get infiltrated, there's, you know... The Thorburn house, of course. To an extent, there's Conquest's Tower, which isn't really a domain, but it's kind of close enough.
1: It's, it, yeah, it's a similar sort of idea. Uh, um, Johans, like, obviously, the the only course. reason he's a big deal is because he somehow claimed a huge chunk <laughs> of the town.
0: Exactly, right? And and the fact that Kronmara predates the idea of domains and therefore doesn't need one to be powerful is just like- a great way of flipping the idea of domain equals power on its head and being like, no, 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 Kronemara is very, very powerful and she's completely outside the system that you understand, so don't think that you know what's going on here.
1: Yeah, well, it kind of ups the horror in a way, right? Because it's, uh, like, her not needing this big source of power reinforces this idea that she's, like, older and more mysterious and has, like, alternative forms of power and, and it just it, it adds this mystery and, and creepiness to her status
0: yeah at, at the risk of this word honestly losing all meaning it 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 gives it an otherness right
1: yeah yeah um anyway so uh
0: ex Maggie uh talks to this to this uh, slave girl who who kind of is asking her for help and and kind of starts revealing that her situation is pretty bad uh, and try and tries to you know get Maggie to help her set set her free by breaking this chain i hate it
1: yeah creepy Creepy. it's creepy the whole way through um
0: i don't think there's a single point of this where your hair isn't (laughs) standing up right um even the idea of helping this slave girl you're kind of like i don't know
1: about this (laughs) yeah exactly and i mean that that's that's what's so tormenting about this like even just reading it i'm sort of like i don't think maggie should do it but it's like a a little slave girl so like how am i at the point where i think that's like not a good idea uh yeah um and and of course
0: the reason is because uh sticking with the kind of fairy tale theme uh this uh, young girl is not what she appears to be Uh, and ex Maggie puts that together realizing that this young girl is mara just kind of playing a a very fairy tale-esque trick Mm. um and you know what mara does here that a lot of other practitioners do is using a kind of ambient effects to escalate tension on traps, which I really like. Um, Mara sets off these singing creepy dolls that are just kind of (laughs) making the, making the room more intense and really making it feel like ex Maggie has to give an answer now, which is of course the exact same thing that, that Pordrick did at the, uh, at the potato diner and Laird has done, Laird and Duncan have both kind of had ticking clocks, (laughs) literally. Um, But, yeah, X maggie doesn't fall for it a second time, which is good.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I mean, Mara also keeps sort of interrupting her as soon as she sort of tries to rationalise why she shouldn't help. (laughs) Uh, So there's, yeah, she is really sort of lumping the pressure on.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, X maggie figures out the trick. Luckily, doesn't fall for it. And then basically says to Mara, hey, is there any way that we can figure out a a deal here? And Mara's like, nope, never going to make a deal with you. And X maggies like... All right. And uh, (laughs) steps back outside into the cold to to go to her second choice, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of almost hilariously abrupt. Yeah. Uh, Wait, we've just sort of gone through this kind of epic journey to get to the house. She solved the riddle uh, and and cracked the puzzle in the house, proving proving herself. And it's like very anticlimactic. It's like, no, no reward for you. Get out. Yeah. She's just like, well, okay.
0: Yeah. And it makes me think about why this section exists, right? Because- there obviously it is a whole thing. It's half of this chapter is getting to be able to say to Mara, Hey, can we negotiate? And then she just turns her away immediately. Um potentially Mara will continue to be a part of this chapter, but I actually think that the reason is this is her first choice. Like this is the first person she goes to. And I, I think Mara is just here to set up how terrible her other choices have to be. If this is her first choice, <laughs> like this creepy old lady who clearly wanted to screw her over. And had almost no chance of helping her. that was the first choice, <laughs> so mm. God knows what the other options are gonna be um
1: yeah, yeah, I think even more than that, um as we sort of touched on the the practitioner, formerly known as Maggie, <laughs> is on a journey to find her self <laughs> like not not herself, her comma self yeah um and it it's like it's not just setting well expectations for her other options, but it's really setting up how big a task this is. Uh, mm. Like, This isn't something where she's just going to go and get a quick fix is sort of what I took out of this. Like, even if she goes to Johans and stuff, I don't think it's going to be that simple. Like, And, and that kind of makes sense. It's a bit weird to go to others in a quest to define yourself. Uh, yeah. So I, I wonder if if um sort of the going to others will Kind of be a feeble part of this exercise, or maybe something that uh you know directs her into how she actually wants to do it. Uh, but yeah, mm.
0: yeah, no, I think that's fair. I yeah, I think it's fair that this is uh we're kind of setting up
1: the fact that she's <laughs> obviously never going to get her original name back
0: now, right? Like
1: yeah. not just that. I, I've yeah, I've completely given up on that. I think she's getting a new name, maybe yep. Molly. Uh, but I, I definitely do not expect to, to be calling her Maggie Holt anytime soon.
0: (laughs) I do like the practitioner formerly known as Maggie. Maybe that's my top pick for, (laughs) for new way to refer to her. Although it's just as cumbersome as the girl in the checkered scarf. I
1: was about to say the reason I gave up on the girl with the checkered scarf was because it was taking too long to type. (laughs) The the practitioner formerly known as Maggie is no better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, true. Um, anyway, that's the end of our discussion about signature 8.4. Um. (laughs) Before we wrap up the show, though, we thought it would be fun to, to pull out a discussion question, which I always love to do, because everyone who reads this story has such great, uh, interesting ideas of of um, of different things that could happen or different kind of historical uh, contexts, and I always love finding out about them. Uh, this mm. question isn't going to be a historical one, but more of an analytical one, I suppose. Uh, thinking We're thinking about what Sandra has brought up this chapter, which is basically that that making a play for the lordship of Jacob's Bell is going to happen soon. And of course out of story we know that conquest has just kind of been deposed, so that's probably only going to make it more likely that this is about to kick off. <laughs> um and so the question that I want to ask people is who should be lord of Jacob's Bell?
1: Yeah. Mm. Um I mean I mean it's it's interesting. I can't wait to see what people think. I mean, you know, go nuts kind of in in who who you think it might be. Mm. Yeah or uh, or should be sorry not not might be. Sure. We're not asking for predictions because I'm <laughs> presuming a lot of you listening. Yeah, know there is a way exactly to easily <laughs> find yeah.
0: Um, so uh, but I am interested to hear. Obviously there's a maybe like half a dozen key players in Jacob's Bell that are probably up for the lordship, right? We've got Sandra, we've got I don't know, Johannes, maybe D- Duncan will make a play, Um Butsack. Yeah, I, this, so this is what I'm talking about. I want to hear some of the more out there answers, right? Um, I think Barbatorum might be an interesting Lord of Jacob's Spell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but sack Can again a, demon is a good one.
1: Be a Lord, like I, I feel like I the, the whole point of a Lord is is they're part of the system and they're stable. And I feel like that'd be anti. Yeah. Oh, anyway, uh, I'll leave that. I'll leave that to the listeners.
0: Uh, I want to hear a compelling reason why it's going to be the Ghost of Fell as the Lord of Jacob's Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, Elliot, where should people leave their answers to that discussion question?
1: Well, in the notes directly below this episode, wherever you're listening slash watching to it, mm-hmm. uh, there is a link to the discussion thread on Reddit and mm-hmm. that's the best place to, to put those answers.
0: Yep. Now, if your answer is 140 characters or less, which it shouldn't be. Uh, you can also tweet it at us. Why not? And Or just post it in Reddit is probably better. But if you want to tweet at us, you can do that. We have a Twitter. It's at MediaMDPodcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a website for Doof. That's doofmedia.com. And that's mm. where you'll find out about all the other shows on Doof Media. And there's a bunch of them. And they're all really good, so you should check them out.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's probably worth pointing out that uh, as people are listening to this, there'll be an episode of We've Got Ward coming out the next day. And I think that episode is actually going to be live recording today. Um if you are a patron of Doof Media, you will get access to the live stream and you can uh, see how the sausage gets made, so to speak. Uh, see the recording session live and uh, kind of experience it before anybody else gets to.
1: Uh, yeah, I've, I've managed to tune into a few of those. I mean, it, it's hard, obviously, because for, for us here in Australia, it's, it's during the middle of the workday. Yep. Uh, but I'm, I've managed to get to a few and uh, half of the fun of that is uh, like the the live chat. Um. You know, there's, there's sort of a, everyone else who's who's watching the live recording, you get to engage with them, and it's really fun.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a companion to the recording.
1: Yeah, getting to, you know, sort of live react with others to, to what Matt and Scott are talking about is is really fun.
0: Yeah. Um, so if you want to get access to that, go to patreon.com slash doofmedia. Um, speaking of great perks, there really is no perk better than being able to read all these great stories. And that's a perk of people donating to patreon.com slash Wildbo. Now, you don't have to, but Wild Boe only is able to do this because some people do. Um, so maybe if you have the means, you should do that too. 100%. I think uh, everybody everybody who reads, uh, you know, wor- uh, Worm or Ward or Pact uh, or Twig uh, kind of has that feeling of, um, oh, I have to recommend this to another person, right? Uh, think of the yeah. patron as your way to recommend uh, Wild Boe's stories to more people, because of course they only exist because people support him. So... If you want to uh, nurture that recommending itch that I'm sure everyone listening to this has, (laughs) uh, support Wildball on Patreon.
1: Yeah. So apart from that, I think we'll see everyone on Friday, the 19th of July for 8.5. See you then.